0: Hello again. Yeah. Good evening, everyone. This is Richard Mabian and welcome to Eco Radio here in Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, I am really excited about the show we got for you tonight. Uh, before I get, get started, I want to say a belated happy Easter or happy resurrection day to all of you folks out there that uh, celebrate that particular holiday. And uh, let's look forward to this upcoming year uh we uh, have really had some really strange weather here in Kansas city as you all know and uh one day is hot next day it's cold so it is april and i think it was 37 degrees this morning when we were waking up so just let you know we definitely having some tough time as far as weather is concerned so without wasting any time i'm gonna get directly into this show because first of all i'm gonna have my guest who's been here before this is the second time on with me and, uh, 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 and we decided we wanted to introduce something to you tonight. So
1: Rick, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself. Let them know where you're from, what you do. Oh, well, great. Well, thank you, Richard. It's an honor to be here. I'm really humbled to have the invitation. Um, my name is Rich Gutowski. I'm uh, operating out of Patterson, New Jersey. We have a combination of a foundation called Alvear and a public benefit corporation incubator. We call it Alvere PBC. So. Okay,
0: now okay, any more than that, yeah. we'll be into That's the it. show. That's great. First of all, I wanna uh, uh explain how we became, I don't know what we call each other, let's just go with friends, um, partners, uh compadres, whatever we wanna be. Um it had to do with with, you know, me and as you if you know me, I'm concerned about the climate change. in in this country on this planet and its effect on the low-income communities but I also am very much aware of the fact that if we're going to do anything as far as turning things around in that portion of the population the one thing we got to do is get people to work we can't keep uh, having a welfare system that is the major is the major source of income in an environment that needs to be retrofitted. Retrofitted, I mean, for instance, every house in America needs to be retrofitted. It needs to be brought up to stiff as far as uh, being able to save money on your utilities or various things that you can do to improve your own conditions and the cost for you to live on this earth. Well, for people to be able to do that, they're going to need to have an income. So that's the thing that i focus in on that's the first thing that i work on and i've been given the credit as you know from a project drawdown as being the only person that they found that has been found a way to reach the untapped market in the low-income community they they came over and observed me and saw what i was doing and said this is something that if people would do this it could be done across this nation well rick and i had already met each other and before I even got that credibility, and he he he's always been engaged in creating businesses, independent, employee-owned. I mean, anything you can name to give a person a motivation to make money and feel good about it—that's what he was doing. So one day we, he he had he brought brought me up to Patterson, and we've been. Bond by the hips of the sense of bringing them two worlds together. Because if we want to build a sustainable earth community, we have to create a mentality in the low-income population for that success to work. And this is not all on them, as the way things are set up. Now it's up to you to do it. Duh, 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 duh we are going to create systems and circumstances that will cause them to enjoy wanting to be a part of what we're trying to introduce. So Rick, pick up from there and just kind yeah, of hit on it.
1: Yeah. So this is an eco-based show. So I think there's two key elements about the green movement that we can, um, I hate to use the word exploit, but we can take advantage of and use for our catalyze for our benefit. So one is I personally don't believe I'm not a climate scientist. Um, I'm just a small businessman, but I just have a little bit of common sense and I look at what the environmental goals are for 2030 and I say there's no way that we're gonna be able to achieve those with a global supply chain. There's just too much carbon and I this whole idea of selling ca- carbon and buying carbon I just have a feeling it's a way for another market to get rich off of poor people. And I've I've often thought that the global economy is what extracted jobs from our local communities and really hurt us to begin with. But the other part of it is, the good side is, the 21st century economy, the anchor businesses in the local economy are going to be green. So, you know, the, the, the renewable energy and battery production and those sorts of things, we need to get those into our inner city communities, our lower income communities, so they can anchor, you know, the economic system of our local economies, and we can build smaller businesses off of those anchor communities. So that's my dream. You know, what we need, Richard, is a SpaceX for social science. Right. Listen, NASA did amazing things. Those scientists were so smart and they landed a man on the moon. But if you look at it 50 or 60 years later, they needed a, a private company, SpaceX, to take space travel to another level because there are certain things that private companies can do that government can't do. Government just can't love on people the way a private company can. A market driven model that is compassionate. And I'll be, I'll tell you this right now. The first Business that figures out how to move the needle on poverty is going to unlock a torrent of resources. The equivalent of Amazon for the bottom of the pyramid, and that's what we're doing. We're trying to yeah. figure that out. Right, and that's we don't what, have the that, answers, but we got some interesting ideas.
0: And that's what Project Drawdown. The lady that was vice president for them saw, and they also said the same thing. There's millions yeah. of people that are going untouched that could add to this process that we're trying to that we need to create. Okay, now the the, the business side of it is a, is 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 the end results area. Let's put it over yeah. there, and so we're gonna come back to the beginning of this. And what we need to be able to do is to, to reach people in such a way that it it, it, it motivates them to, to, to want this to happen. Okay, so let's talk about this concept you have called Alvira. Yeah. Explain that. Let's talk about that.
1: Well, listen, first of all, it's not my idea, right? Um, after Ferguson, um, I moved my business into Patterson. I just started to become part of the community and went out and did meals with people and said, hey, how do we stop that from happening in our community? Like, let's, let's be proactive. So um, Alvira is a, is a is a collection of ideas that came from all over the place. Indigenous people, local people, suburban people, PhDs, David Corton, um, Marjorie Kelly with the Democratic Economy. But we just started uh, hanging out, having meals, People don't know how to just go and hang out and have a meal. They want to know what are we going to accomplish. I'm like, guys, I don't know. You're going to have a new friend that you didn't meet, but let's just kick some of these ideas around. So Alvear really came out of those conversations. But in Patterson, the way this manifested is we had three nonprofits come together with a very interesting collaboration. One was called Elevate in the Public School. One was called United Advocacy Group that basically did mentoring and coaching for families. And the other one was something called the give back foundation that was looking to give full college scholarships as long as students were willing to engage in full-time mentoring. So, um, That's good. That's the direction you wanted to go. Yeah. That's
0: that. Yeah. That's exactly where I wanted to go because I want to now bring it to this. is the first part until we take our first break is kind of an introduction of what we are doing and, and, and what, We started here after me hearing about this and seeing how it was being done and how they got started was to start working with my local people in Kansas City, Kansas. And a a couple of weekends ago, we had a dinner. The dinner he's talking about had no agenda. Everybody just came to the dinner and it was there for one reason, to introduce themselves to each other, just to sit and talk. And at this, he had talked about those three organizations up there in Patterson. Here in Kansas City, Kansas, we brought in the new executive director of public housing. We brought in the executive director and her assistant at, e- 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 oh boy. at EOF, Economic Opportunity Foundation, which, for those of you who didn't know, is, a, is Kansas City, Kansas' cap agency. Uh, the cap agencies are the organizations that receive the The mandate from President Johnson's War on Poverty Act, 1964, so they are very they're in a position to have a lot of uh, activity and responsibility in the development of a community, and then the third, where we brought in Donnelly College. I wouldn't do anything without Donnelly College because that gives us an education system for our future generations. And what we wanted to do is to be able to work with these groups to, together with this Albera model, create a sustainable earth community. And, see, and because of the, the siloed system that, that, that has been created in this nation, You have all of these individual organizations that are out here trying to make things happen, but they're doing it individually. And so they end up spending a lot of time focused in on their individual uh, organization. But what we wanna do is to bring the organizations together so that they can start having these conversations. Like he just said, what can we do to prevent this kind of stuff from happening? Here in Kansas City. How does that sound,
1: Rick? Oh, that sounds that sounds great, Richard. But we're just about going to break. How much time yeah. do we have? Uh... Minute. Awesome. Yeah. So I mean, listen, it's it started that simply, but you know how hard it is to get people to just come out to dinner with no purpose? Because people have so little margin in their life. They don't have extra time to do. So you have to do it over meals. My my thing was, hey guys, you gotta eat. Yeah. Right? So I don't want to take any time out of your day or making money or doing whatever you have to do. But let's go have a meal together and talk with some of my friends. Well, that's that's the the concept of developing a relationship.
0: Okay, we're almost up to the time for us to get ready to cut. This is Richard Mabier and the KKFI 90.1 FM. We'll be right back.
2: I'm Richard Streeter. I'm a volunteer here at KKFI. Our pledge drive will be starting soon and we need volunteers for our phone bank you can participate remotely or by coming into the station all phone bank volunteers must be comfortable talking to donors on the phone and entering pledges on the computer in addition remote phone bank volunteers will need a reliable internet connection and a computer with a microphone and speakers sign up for a shift today at kkfi.org phone bank and that's one word or contact our volunteer coordinator at 816-994-7864 for more information you care for nitrous oxide this morning? Oh, would you like a little CO2 and toast? Some ozone over easy, if the lead has made you queasy These aren't the things of which utilities are apt to boast Global warming feels so nice in the morning uh, But it gets a bit oppressive by midday The polar bears are dying, amphibians are frying, but we have electric blowers to blow our leaves away. If what we do is legal, then we should not be concerned. The GOP's not worried about the coal we have to burn. So would you care for nitrous oxide this morning? Or would you like a little CO2 and toast? Some sulfur with your tea, a little mercury. It's the cost of the conveniences that you and I love most. A goodbye, East Coast. Thank you for being with us here on Eco Radio. we will get to start part two of Richard Mabian's interview. You are listening to 90.1 KKFI Kansas City Community Radio.
3: August 11th through the 13th. We're looking for local musicians to participate. If you are a musician and interested in participating, you can go online to apply at kkfi.org forward slash band auction. Artists will have the opportunity to perform live on KKFI's Airwaves for 30 minutes. Proceeds go to KKFI and the artists. For more information and to submit your band for consideration, go online to kkfi.org forward slash band auction
0: on what it is that we're actually talking about. So uh, in the process of working with groups to create relationships, to work as a collaborative unit in the midst of an environment, in the midst of a community. If you notice, I haven't said anything about government's involvement, you know, and, and we're working with agencies that receive government funding. But what we're talking about is developing a strategy with the groups in the community of how are we going to work with the same clients we all serve. So let's go into Rick, how this can
1: be done. Yeah. So Alvere is Latin for hive. There's a, there's something called biomimicry. It's a science. And the new stealth fighter planes, the scientists, you know, smartest aviation people in the world, when they wanted to build that new cutting edge you know, jet plane, they looked at a hawk and how a hawk flies. Okay. So there's this theory that you can look at nature and you can um, uh, copy some of the the design that, that that nature's come up with to solve some of these complex problems. So they did it with they, – they looked at a hawk for aviation. We looked at a beehive for our communities. So the idea of Alvere is we would go into anywhere you you – one of the best partnerships between nature and man is, is a beehive. So a natural beehive is up high in a, in a tree. It's hard to get to. And if you want to get the honey out, you got to break the hive. So instead man, man created, um, a container that would protect the bees and it would have these frames in the container, wherever you stuck one of these, they call them an apiary. Anywhere you stuck one of these man-made beehives, it made every other, um, flowering tree in the ecosystem more fruitful. So they take, bees take nothing from any of the flowers they land on. And they just, in the process of going around and doing what they do naturally, they're they're connecting and and pollinating every other thing. But what they end up doing is making pure honey out of it. That's what we want Alvear to do. So when you look at each of the components of this Elevate, UAG and the Give Back Foundation, they were all modeling that behavior. And, and they were all doing a great job individually, but we said, you know, if you put the three of them together, you go from one plus one plus one equals three to one plus one plus one equals 10. So, you know, that's kind of how it came together with us. But we said, hey, what if the, the challenge was it's, you always have scarce resources. So how do you apply scarce resources in the most effective way possible? And we found that if you put Elevate UAG and the Give Back Foundation together, you could really potentially move the needle on poverty. Now, you might not do it on 30 million people, but if you, if you could prove it on 100 people, I think you might unlock a lot of resources to expand that program quickly. So listen, right now, this is all in the very beginning stages. We don't know if it'll work. It seemed like a good idea, and, and we're, trying to, tr- we're trying, to tr- trying to work it all out.
0: Okay, and, and then you team it up with what I was doing. I created what's, what's called the 50-year pathway out of poverty. It's divided into three segments, uh, K through 12, that's dealing with our, our, our school-age students. and mm-hmm. we have the 16 to 24, and these are disconnected workers. Uh, the, the definition that they give to disconnected workers are any student that hasn't been on a job or in school in the last year. And then you have the portion of the population that the Labor Department said is missing in action. And that's the 25 to, to 50, 54-year-old group. And the Labor Department thought that group was either in school, disabled, or in jail. That's why you didn't see them in the workforce in the numbers that they should be representing. But when they did a study, they couldn't find them. They, that's not where they were. And of course, you and me being and, me and being out in this world and seeing what's going on told them that I had a suspicion that some of that numbers or the people who you see driving around in the in front of the trash truck on trash day, picking up the re, the salvageable stuff before the trash trucks get there and pick it up. Those people are, are we have found have been fellows and, and even some women are doing it now that just got tired of dealing with the job market. Uh, they, They would get laid off a job or a job would decide they didn't want to be here in the city anymore and leave. And those workers would be get a little stifled and they would get training from workforce development to prepare them for another job. And they'd go through that a good year or more. And then they'd end up going to another job and they get started all over again. And the next thing they know in a year or two, hear that company saying, oh, we don't want to be here anymore. We're moving on. And after going through this two or three times, those fellas said, that's it. I'm tired of this. I'm not going to take it anymore. That kind of attitude. And they just threw their hands up and said, I'm going to go out here. I'm not being a criminal. I'm not selling drugs. I'm not a pimp. I'm not out here doing illegal things. I'm just going to be my own individual person. I'll do handy jobs. I'll paint your house. I'll cut your grass. I'll fix your gutters. I'll do whatever you need it done. And then along with those that are out there picking up that trash, we got people probably making $500 to $1,000 a week, running around picking up salvage and going in and trading it in. That's where that group went. We want to be able to reach that group too.
1: So those are the things that... I came up with here in Kansas City. Well, well, listen, that's what that's what really brought us together. That's what glued our relationship together because one of the I'm not going to use a name to protect the innocent, right? But but one of the foremost experts on families, you know, a PhD from MIT and family studies, he got called into Health and Human Services to help consult to. They had invested a 1.5 billion dollars in fathering initiatives and um, they weren't getting the results that they wanted so they said hey can you help us improve our outcomes and he said hey you guys you need to look at what they're doing in patterson because this combination of an advocate for the child an advocate for the family and then giving them a full college scholarship room board and tuition if they come out college ready he saw that model as and this is one of the experts top experts in america He saw that as, he said, the best solution to a missing father he'd ever seen in his entire career, and he's not a young guy. But then (laughs) I met Richard, and Richard said, you know, Rich, your model's good, but it could be better. I'm like, Richard, I find that hard to believe because I've got a Ph.D., MIT, smart guy, tell me it's the best thing. He said, no, imagine if you could put Uncle Bobby to work. There it is. And, and I'm like, damn, you're right. <laughs> that would make it better. That make it yeah. better.
0: Yeah, I think that that's one aspect in society that, that our academic communities have overlooked. And therefore, they don't pass it on to the decision makers. And so everyone was looking at the, 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 the uh, uh, what you call it, looking at a, a little junior. Everybody was looking at him as being the one that we needed to reach, uh, girl or boy. And prepare them for the future. They teaching them uh, uh, robotics, and they give them the greatest classes in the world in our in our high schools and courses. And and while that might be sensational in the suburbs and in your what you would consider wealthier type of uh, education system, when you come into your poor low uh, public school systems. Uh, you know, you're doing good if you are reaching one to two kids out of that group that you're pro- providing this, this example for. And then the degradation that they have to pass through to get from school to home. People, I don't know if you've ever noticed or realized what kids in our public school systems in the inner city have to walk through, ride through. I don't care how they get there. To go from that school back home, a lot of what they've learned, they lose. And then when they get home, the most popular person in the family is Uncle Bob. You know, he's been there all day long doing what Uncle Bob does. And again, this is not about drugs. I mean, he's, he's just a popular guy. Uh, Mama likes him, Mama being grandma, uh, most of the family likes him. I mean, you know, he's a real popular guy. You know, the women like him. I mean, you know, so those young kids are growing up, going, that stuff they learn in the school is one thing, but those negative barriers they have to overcome they start focusing in and they make uncle bob their role model that's who i want to be like when i grow up so we've been training them and overlooking uncle bob so what my program is designed to do is to get uncle bob to work we need uncle bob coming home on thursday evening with a little skip in the step popping the little kids on top of the head you know and the reason Friday's payday. Remember when we was growing up? You remember how your parents used to act the day before payday? You would know something. He's in a great, daddy's in a great mood. Because see, the next day he got paid. And that's what our kids aren't seeing. Because the Uncle Bob's of the world aren't working. It's not because they can't work or don't want to work. It's the type of employment circumstances that we need to provide for them and not BEEN CREATED. SO THAT'S WHAT THE ULTIMATE GOAL FOR THAT END RESULTS YOU was JUST TALKING ABOUT. THE MANUFACTURER IN THE NEIGHBORHOOD, THINGS THAT THEY CAN FEEL GOOD ABOUT IS WHAT WE NEED TO AS A COMMUNITY CREATE. SO WHEN WE DEVELOP IN THESE RELATIONSHIPS, THOSE ARE THE OBJECTIVES WE'RE GOING TO HAVE IN MIND WITH PEOPLE WHO WORK IN THIS MARKET. WHAT CAN WE DO? I LOVE PUBLIC HOUSING BECAUSE IT HAS A SELF-SUSTAINING obligation to move a person from public housing into mainstream and, and they've been basically almost on their own to do it. Now we want to come together and create a collaborative effort with the total community to be involved in moving people in that direction.
1: Richard, you you touched on three really key principles we should got talk two about. Minutes. Yeah, well we'll we'll do the, we'll, we'll we'll build this out after the break. Yeah, but. yeah you three principles and um, one was it's not just a job it's a good job now yes. you talk about that yes. afterwards yes. okay yes. Yes. but that's what you taught me right it's not just owning the pond you got to clean the pond first they don't want to buy your pond rich right so that's number one number two um, this is not a problem of the city that the suburbs is going to fix right. this is a systemic problem. So my friend who grew up in the suburbs and, you know, has a PhD, the value of him coming in contact with you was you improved his, so one of our rules in Patterson is you got to come to the table as a humble learner and rich people and smart people have a really hard time coming to the table listening right? and being coachable. So, um, and then I forgot what the third, the third principle I wanted to talk about was, but We'll figure
0: it out after the break after the break we in there being to our last minute but I agree 100 that uh that those are the concepts that we have come together with and we wanted to have this program tonight to introduce this to when we come back we're going to go we're going to launch into how that can actually be done this is Richard Magian talking to you here on eco radio and KKFI uh, 90.1 FM we'll be back in a minute so just hang in there.
1: The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of ninety point one FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Good
2: news, good planet. Good
4: news. It's time now for your good news for a good planet: carbon conversion. In the search to reduce greenhouse gases, no stone has been left unturned, literally. It has been discovered that a certain type of rock may offer promising solutions. Peridotite is a common dark rock often found just beneath the Earth's crust. But in a few places around the world, it thrusts above ground into mountain ranges, dominating the landscape. When peritidite is exposed to carbon dioxide, the gas is converted into calcite, a pale, solid material. And the rock's capacity to trap greenhouse gases appears to be unlimited. The peritidite mountains of Oman, West Asia, absorb over 100,000 tons of carbon dioxide every year without any human intervention or a need for mining. The same process is at work in the stalagmites and stalactites of underground caverns. This carbon mineralization holds real promise as a method to reduce reduce carbon emissions around the world. Some scientists are experimenting with drilling holes into the rock and pumping liquefied carbon dioxide into it. Others are grinding the rock into a powder to clean the carbon levels in marine environments and protect coral reefs. Still under investigation, this common rock may be the mountain worth climbing in the battle against climate change. And this is Mandy from goodnewsgoodplanet.com.
3: Good
5: KKFI is hiring. We are now accepting applications for a bookkeeper office administrator position at KKFI's offices at 39th and Main in Midtown, Kansas City. This is a full-time, 32 hours per week position that is responsible for supporting the administrative and financial needs of our organization. For more details, including required skills and how to apply, please go online to kkfi.org forward slash jobs.
4: KKFI has a new and improved presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Be sure to like and follow your community station on social media at KKFI 901 FM. Thanks for supporting this station since 1988.
0: All righty, this is Richard Mabian again. We're back, this is our final session. And um, be, I want you to know that Rick and I uh, realized there's no way in the world we'd be able to, to cover all we needed to cover to make this a, uh, a meaningful program that we want it to be. So we've already decided we're turning this into a series. I, even though we have different hosts and I'm not on every week, every time I'm on for probably the next two or three times We're going to have have Rick on and we're going to discuss various aspects of this concept. And we even have plans of bringing people on from Kansas City and also Patterson. And we're going to have actual people who are involved in the program. I would love for my Kansas City folks to be able to ask the Patterson folk questions about how they do what they do. uh, Or how do you feel we can do what it is we want to do and one of these shows we might even figure out a way to have an open mic so that people out there can call in and ask questions and then we'll set up and we'll fire answers back so just i just want you to know this is definitely going somewhere okay rick we coming back to you we got about a good 12 minutes now let's Let's, let's, let's end this in uh, a fashion that
1: have people dying to hear us. Come on. <laughs> well, okay. So so let's talk about the specifics of each of these components. Okay. And once again, it's not a program. None of these programs are mine. These are other people's programs. We just put them together. You know, and I think there's a little bit of Providence involved and just some dumb luck. But Elevate is an in-the-public-school program. There are three three teacher mentors per classroom, okay? So the public school provides the supervision for the, for the teacher mentors, private business people fund them and they only hire them from the community. So these are not, no offense to any outside teachers, but these are people that are from the neighborhood and understand the neighborhood. And um, they teach four hours in the public school And then they do life with the kids four hours after school. So um, tutoring, mentoring, what have you. They've got a very long track record. There's something called the Search Institute that ranks youth programs. They have 40 attributes. Boys and girls clubs typically score 9 or 10, which is good. Elevate scores 38 out of 40. Wow. So, yeah. so and, And the best part of it is is what we're doing is we're teaming up local leadership, local uh, teacher mentors with the best curriculum out that we could find in the, in the, in the nation. And it's all paid for by private dollars, right? So we're not taking anything from the school, (laughs) not taking it. We're creating three or three jobs for every class from the neighborhood. So it's creating jobs for local people. It, It gets interpreted with local culture, right? So it's not an outside culture coming in trying to change anything, but what it does is the Alvere concept teaching seven habits of highly effective people, team building, conflict resolution, career planning, um, giving the socio-emotional supports that, you know, kids need. It makes every other academic program in the school better. Yes. Right. So we don't take anything from the school. We, we add something to it. It makes everything else better, but better by a multiple. Now, El Elevate, I'm sorry, Richard, you want to ask me a question? No, you go ahead, go ahead. Okay. So so, so, Elevate by itself is a great program. It takes graduations rates from 65% to 95%. And, and the, the kids getting jobs and going to college and what have you are, are exceptional. Um, but now you've got this thing called the United Advoc- Advocacy Group. There's tons of programs in the city that go underutilized or unutilized because they're siloed. So what the United Advocacy Group did is they um, recruited people from the neighborhood. They trained them up to be basically life coaches for families, family advocates. They don't have a program. They don't give the family anything. They just basically identify what that family needs, whether it's housing, a job, food, uh, what have you, health issues, mental health issues. And they connect the family to the resources that exist in the community already. But what's special about them is they stay with the family until that family is achieving the goals that they want to achieve. So they might take them from program to program to program to program. And the foundation that funded this United Advocacy Group, they were self-described, and I hate to use this term, but they were data Nazis. They, They were adamant about collecting and analyzing the data of which families were going to what programs and what were those outcomes. So because they were so disciplined in their collection of data, they actually were able to find combinations of programs within the city that um, made those families go from to living independently, right? But what it also did is in this one community called Bridgeton, New Jersey, they ended up having the, 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 the truth, the data of what was working, and it got all 17 institutional nonprofits to work on a common strategic plan, which listen, all the top social scientists say, if we're really going to tackle and move the needle on poverty and our nagging social issues, we had to do it together. Yes. But nobody's figured out how to make us work together. Well, these folks didn't. Even, that wasn't even their plan. They discovered it by accident. Accident. Okay. But, now, now yeah. I'll jump in because it's important. I want to get this yes. right in
0: there. First of all, we're talking about the youth section. We're not dealing with Uncle Bob. we okay? have right. already covered him, what he's doing. So that means there's a separate program that's working with him. There's also a separate program that's dealing with the uh preschool to up to about the third grade. They're dealing with the, uh, exposing them to raw science and stuff. Now we're talking that that fourth grader up to the, the, the 12th grade. You know, the age group is run somewhere around 10, 11, up to uh, 17. That's the group we're focusing these programs in on. But see what we got now to help us to cause that Tony bad butt to participate is because we got Uncle Bob working. Yeah. Now he's seeing someone that he knows that's gainfully employed and loving it. See, that's why those two worlds need to be brought together. So as we're talking about this, those of you listening, I want you to understand that, because those are the things going to come to mind. When I saw the program Elevate, I just, just turned me, and I called Rick and told him. That was early this morning. And the reason it's a great program and you know and uh, you know how you 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 talk about I, I use the word foo-foo my 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 missus when she she goes shopping you know she gets all the fluffy stuff you know and and, and, and that's what i thought people would see when they see it and those of you who are invited to the dinner i'm gonna send you some information on that uh when this uh, session is over but what i realized and when rick and i talked that's where the the, the collaborative input comes from because now we're going to be able to also at the same time be addressing what we can do for that for that 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 hard to reach kid for that one that, that that we got to be able to reach a kid. We had an incident here, Rick, in uh, Kansas City, and you other folks that are out of town that are on this call listening in. Uh, that went into uh, middle school and uh, stabbed uh, another eighth grader, Ohio, however old he was, six times and killed him. That's major drama, okay? That's too young to be perceived as a bad kid. That's a bad environment. So we're going to be able to figure out ways to also engage those individuals in a kind of a concept to captivate their attention too. One of the things we're planning on doing in that uh, uh, that, that, that fourth, I mean, the, t- the fourth through the tw- uh, tw- uh, 12th grade is start developing a, a, a course on how to create an income. See, I don't know if there's a course out there right now for those kids in the inner city to do nothing but go to get a training to go to work for somebody. And what we want to be able to do is to give them a concept of what it is to create an income, to find out what taxes mean as far as the city's concerned, the state's concern, the federal government, what an asset it is, how you create businesses that causes it. other businesses. You talked about creating businesses that other businesses will set up in and how they can create that small business. We want to Be able to include that in this process that you're talking about doing. So, those people who we had at that dinner, that's going to be a major point for them to discuss and consider what is it that we can do to give this group that additional knowledge about life? So, that's what's missing. We as a community have to create. That kind of experience for our name
1: for our community. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, Richard. Completely with you. So, so um, if we get back to this, so so what you just said ties right into this model, right? Because what this family expert um, observed was that these three programs together, we were they're very expensive programs. Right? So we got donors with a lot of money, putting a lot of money in. But that's not sustainable long term. So what made our program different is we were using these three programs to seed social enterprises. And the profit from the social enterprises would go to seed these and make these uh, programs sustainable and um, scalable. Yeah. So, um, and I'll give you an example because the third collaborator is a very good example. The third collaborator is the Give Back Foundation. And what they said was, we, the, the fellow had a very successful business in uh, merchant services, which is when you swipe your visa card or payroll, those sorts of things for business. He sold the business. He put $200 million into a scholarship fund for at-risk youth. When his non-compete was up, but, but you had to agree to long-term mentoring. So that's where Elevate comes in. And then adding UAG made the whole package even better, right? But what he did when his non-compete was up was he started another business called Beyond Get Beyond, which is the fastest growing merchant services business in, in the, in the, in the uh, nation today. 50% of the profits of Get Beyond go to support the scholarship fund. Okay. So, so listen, how many merchant services businesses are out there? There's got to be a thousand. You can't differentiate them. They're all the same. So to get beyond people going and say, listen, <laughs> we care about your community. 50% of our profits go to fund scholarship funds So, use our merchant services instead of somebody who doesn't care about your community. Well, we made it even better because we said, hey, Bob, how about. If we put 250 people in a room, 250 business owners in a room at one shot, and we tell them about this collaboration to break the cycle of poverty, so they can either donate money or they can sign up for your business services. But now, and and he loved the idea, and the community loves the idea, and now just every time you swipe that credit card at your merchant, your bodega, a little piece goes to support your scholarship fund, and 50% of the commission goes to support the United Advocacy Group or Elevate. Give me an example of a merchant service. You know those little machines where you swipe your credit card? Oh, okay. He, he distributes those little machines. But you also do your payroll service. I think they do some other things for businesses. They actually do lending for small businesses. Okay. So, so now you think about it. Any commodity business out there that can't differentiate themselves, because nowadays they're all the same, copiers, um, Yelp, There's so many things that are distributed. Think about Amazon. Amazon was just a distribution company. They didn't make anything. They connected buyers and sellers. Well, what if in the low income community we use those United Advocacy group advocates to connect buyers and sellers and they got the commission or the lead fee. So those advocates are at, at the decision point where those poor people are going from living dependent to independent. And there's a lot of things they buy along the way. So why shouldn't they get the money that Amazon would get? I feel the same way. I feel the same way with our hair
0: care products. You know, one of the main businesses, because we always talk about the churches, but we don't really look at them as being businesses, is barber and beauty salons. That is a major industry in the inner city as far as hair care is concerned, but the products that they use and the hair that they're buying and all the other things that they're dealing with is coming from China and other places. I'm saying that when you start talking about manufacturing things here in the country, those could be the kind of projects, the kind of business. Richard,
1: I'm going to, I'm going to give you a teaser for our next episode. Okay. We've got something called a city tour, a self-guided city tour. Next time we get together, I want to talk about that because it's an example of how we teach kids to build a business and develop the skills they need. And it's a cross-sector collaboration that comes out of the Elevate program to teach this by doing it.
0: Okay, I got a finger up on me telling me down to a minute. My God, I thought we at least had two or three more. All right, Gay, You see what we're doing. I hope that you appreciated uh, how this show was dealt with. Uh, I, I will again allow you and make sure I let you know when we're going to do another one. And uh, and we'll have an added additional people on the show to make this conversation even go deeper. We'll even get to the point of bringing in people who are constructing housing and stuff locally in Kansas City to say how they can be a part of this too. So thank you, thank you, Rick. Thank you, uh, Rick. Uh, We'll continue this on. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in. And like I said, we'll be looking for you
5: again. Hi, this is Diana Lynn, host of the Tasty Brew Music Radio Show and Siren Song here on KKFI. Our pledge drive will be starting soon and we need volunteers for our phone bank. You can participate remotely or by coming into the station. All phone bank volunteers must be comfortable talking to donors on the phone and entering pledges on the computer. In addition, remote phone bank volunteers will need a reliable internet connection and a computer with a microphone and speakers. Sign up for a shift today at kkfi.org phonebank phone bank. Or for more information, contact our volunteer coordinator at 816-994-7864.
2: I'm just one guy, I got one mower, got one trimmer and one leaf blower. There's only one car that belongs to me, and my wife has just one SUV. My son has a car and my daughter does too, but we need them to do what we want to do. I'm sure global warming is a tragedy, but I don't see what it has to do with me. We don't like heat and humidity, so we sleep under blankets cause we've got A.C. We love our new all-wall TV and our washer and our dryer and our DVD and a fridge in the basement to keep our beer because there just isn't room in the one up here. I know it all takes electricity, but we only use it for necessities. I hope. They could save some energy, but I don't see what it has to do with me. Don't blame me that the polar bears are dead. Save those bears, that's what I said. I gave ten bucks to the polar bear fund and I thought the polar bear deal was done. Well, I'm sure sorry if it has to be, but I don't see what it has to do with me. A scientist in a lab somewhere may figure out how to clean the air. Until then, I'll just wait and see. It doesn't all depend on me. I don't live on a glacier, don't live on a coast, and I shouldn't give up things I love most. I hope you'll live responsibly, but I don't see what it has to do with me, don't see what it has to do with me.
3: I'm Dr. Anthony Lisewitz, and this is Climate Connections. Reverend Gerald Gadet is a pastor and scientist, so he's in a unique position to talk to people of faith about sea level rise, extreme weather, and other climate change impacts.
0: My faith is the driving force that gets me excited about
1: telling people that, look, this earth is a gift from God. This universe is a gift from God, and we've got to take better care of it.
3: For Gadet, the issue of climate change is personal. For about a decade, he was a steward and his wife was the pastor at the St. Paul African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church in Aurora, North Carolina. In that time, the church flooded twice, during Hurricane Irene and Hurricane Florence. Now Gadet is the pastor of Reels Chapel in Beaufort, which was also damaged by Florence. When I got to Reals Chapel,
0: that church had not been in operation for two and a half years, partly because of the hurricane. So climate change has really impacted both places where I've been severely.
3: As a result, he's passionate about sharing climate change information with his congregants, and he's dedicated to helping his community prepare now for future storms. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication, hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org.
5: My name is Terry. At the end of our hour, here's some environmental news for the week of May 29, 2023. Democracy Now! reports the White House says it's nearing a deal to avoid default on the national debt. As part of a deal to raise the debt ceiling, House Republicans have been insisting on large cuts to domestic programs, coupled with increases in spending on the military in the southern U.S. border. Environmentalists are warning the emerging deal would substantially weaken the National Environmental Policy Act in order to fast-track federal review of permits for new energy projects. The Supreme Court has sharply limited the authority of the Environmental Protection Agency to protect and preserve wetlands under the Clean Water Act, a landmark half-century-old environmental law. The court's decision effectively ends protections for about half of all the wetlands in the United States. Conservation groups called the ruling a devastating setback for clean water and called on Congress to pass new legislation protecting wetlands. A new investigation from the watchdog group Corporate Accountability finds that over 90% of Chevron's carbon offsets are junk, with some likely contributing to the climate crisis and creating social harm. Environmental and indigenous activists have long opposed the idea of carbon offsets and called them corporate greenwashing. In related news, The city of Hoboken in New Jersey is suing Chevron, Exxon, and other oil companies over racketeering charges for knowingly deceiving the public of the climate risks of its industry. A new study warns that the Earth is entering its sixth mass extinction due to the massive global loss of biodiversity triggered by human activity. The report, written by researchers at Queen's University Belfast in Northern Ireland, says that nearly half of the planet's animal species are now in decline, but that unlike past mass extinctions, the present one has been entirely caused by humans. EcoWatch reports, already faced with extreme weather and an increasing threat of flooding due to sea level rise, New York City is gradually sinking at an average of about one to two millimeters annually, with some areas subsiding twice that fast. On a clear morning, after milking his cows, Tim Sauter looked over the pasture where he had just turned the animals out to graze. Like many dairy farms, Sauter's fields swayed with a variety of grasses, but they were also full of something typically missing from an agricultural landscape, trees. Trees. Today, young trees stud his pastures, casting shadows on the long grass below. It's an old idea that's gaining modern traction. The USDA has awarded the Nature Conservancy a grant to advance agroforestry, the umbrella term for agricultural practices that incorporate trees. Inside Climate News reports, in the middle of the longest running drought in more than a thousand years, Colorado energy companies diverted rising volumes of the state's fresh water resources for fracking, even though the fracking companies produced enough wastewater to supply their operations. Operator error caused 400,000-gallon crude oil spill outside Midland, Texas when N-Link Midstream's Chickadee pipeline ruptured on March 29, 2023, causing one of the largest oil spills in the last decade in Texas. An incident report now blames the massive spill on incorrect operation. Spending on new interstate lines is a key component of the tradition to clean energy because the lines deliver electricity from wind and solar power in rural areas to consumers in urban and suburban areas. Right of first refusal laws help to determine which companies stand to benefit as the grid expands. The laws are a financial boon for utilities, entitling them to decades of near-guaranteed profits from owning the transmission lines. Sustainability Action Newsletter reports, The transformation of a diverse agricultural economy into one narrowly focused on a pair of commodity crops is the result of a bigger trend. A set of incentives imposed on farmers and unrestricted free trade with countries like China and Mexico since the latter half of the 20th century has created a dangerous situation of the outsourcing of the American food system. Farmers are paid to overproduce commodities like corn and soy, and fruits and vegetables are increasingly imported from other countries. This explains why the apple orchards near hometowns have disappeared, and nearly 60% of the apple juice sold in the United States comes from China. Foodandwaterwatch.org reports. Oil and gas companies are promoting carbon capture projects for oil and gas operations and fossil fuel energy plants as a solution to climate change. Given the massive failures of carbon capture projects attempted so far, it's obvious that carbon capture is more scam than solution. The costs of carbon capture solution are very high and they create big inefficiencies at operations. Carbon capture solutions will do little more than prolong the use of fossil fuels while increasing costs to ratepayers and continuing the deadly release of greenhouse gas emissions. Thanks to listening to Eco Radio KC. Please tune in again next week or listen to our podcast at any time.
0: Thank you for listening to ECO Radio KC on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. ECO Radio is brought to you each week by a team of collaborators, including me, Craig Lugo, Terry Wilking, Brent Rysdale, Bob Grove, and Dave Mitchell.
5: The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests and not of KKFI and or the Midcoast Media Project. You can find our calendar and a podcast of each show on Eco Radio KC's Facebook page, as well as on our show page at kkfi.org. This is Richard Magin, and you can send inquiries and comments to
0: our email at kkfi.org forward slash contact or message us on our Facebook page.
5: Up next is Fiesta Musical, followed by Noche Magica. Our outro music is Big Yellow Taxi by Jody Mitchell.
1: Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone?